Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus. My name is Becky Morrison, and I'll be reading from the book of Numbers, chapter 11, verses 21 through 23, and verses 31 through 33. But Moses said, The people I am with number 600,000 on foot, and you say, I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month? Are there enough flocks and herds to slaughter for them? Are there enough fish in the sea to catch for them? The Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's power limited? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. Then a wind went out from the Lord, and it brought quails from the sea and let them fall beside the camp, about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp, about two cubits deep on the ground. So the people worked all that day and night and all the next day gathering the quails, The least anyone gathered was ten homers, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm Pastor John Allen, lead pastor here at Stonebridge United Methodist Church. It is such a pleasure to have you here. Um, We have been working on a series of sermons based on... Mark Batterson's book, The Circle Maker. We're also doing study groups. And um, I know that some of you have been circling the building, circling different parts of the building, um, circling prayers. Well, this week the church sent out an email about the North Texas Giving Day on Thursday. And I circled a prayer. Um, We don't... We get money through the through our online, but uh, nowhere near $10,000. That was the prayer I circled. Um, and thinking that I was really being foolish and not telling anybody because I didn't want to, <laughs> to admit that I was wrong. Uh, I found out this morning that we raised $23,876. Tell me our God is not good. Tell me our God does not answer prayers. Tell me our God does not um, make a difference when we go before him in prayer. Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight to our strength, our Redeemer. May these words be your words through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Ultimately, faith is the willingness to look foolish. Faith is the willingness to look foolish. Because, you know, oftentimes when we follow God's vision for our lives, it looks foolish to the world. The the Bible is full of fools. For example, Noah looked foolish building a boat in the middle of the desert. The Israelite army looked foolish marching around Jericho shouting and blowing horns. A shepherd boy named David looked foolish going against a giant named Goliath. 
The, uh, the Magi looked foolish following a star to Bethlehem. Peter looked foolish getting out of the boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus looked foolish with a crown of thorns upon his head. And yet we all know, we all know that uh, Noah was delivered from the flood. That the... Uh, that David defeated Goliath, that the wise men found the king of kings and the lord of lords in Bethlehem, that Peter walked on water there when he got out of the boat, and that Jesus was crowned the king of kings, the savior of the world. Praying prayer circles, bold, outlandish prayers seem foolish at times, if not all the time. But the bigger circle we draw with our prayers, the more foolish that we might feel, but the more, um, the greater the expectation and the greater the promise that we receive from God. Uh, this spring, I was asked to do an interim before I came to Stonebridge in July uh, for the Van Alsting Church. And they were divided, they were arguing, they were fighting with each other. Uh, and Amy had this idea for Holy Week. And what she wanted to do was to circle the church and pray Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, circle the church one from, and then on Easter Sunday morning to circle the church seven times before we worshiped. I agreed. Um, and, and, and frankly, it was a great exercise. I, I remember the, the first day circling the, the church, and I saw things that I had not seen before. That's, that's why I think that prayer circles are so important, because as we circle a situation, a dream, a problem, a person, we see that, we see that prayer from different perspectives. We see things that we don't necessarily uh, know are there. Each day I would see something different. One day I saw angels sitting at the corners of the building. On Saturday night, I realized that in order for us to circle the building seven times with prayer before the sunrise service, we were going to have to get up at 4 a.m. Um, suddenly I felt foolish, <laughs> crazy. I thought, what was I thinking? I mean, and, and what if people see us circling the building before worship? They're going to be wondering what the pastor's doing. So, but we got up early. We circled the building seven times. Got done just in time to get over to the sunrise service. There were people that saw us and looked at us strangely. Crazy, right? Not crazy. From that moment on, God began to answer prayers that we had offered that week. The arguing stopped. The morale went up. The attendance began to grow. The giving went up. People started joining the church. It was, uh, it was like... On Sunday morning, it went to where people were kind of looking at each other with this, you know, you know that look. 
to smiling at each other and waving across the sanctuary. On one, sun, on one week, I baptized eight people. It was incredible. So don't tell me that God doesn't answer prayers. Don't tell me that circling a situation or a problem or a challenge or a dream cannot make a difference. Because it does. As foolish as we may feel, it makes a difference. In the book of Numbers, we hear a story how the complaining Hebrews were blessed with a miraculous outpouring of food. Now, let me give you a little backstory. After 400 years of slavery in Egypt, God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt through a series of miracles. Now they're in the desert and they are complaining. Um, a friend of mine said that if you really want to um, know the human condition, you have to learn how to complain with your mouth full. God had performed miracles for them, and it seemed like for every miracle they forgot about it, and they wanted something else, and they complained about it. They complained about not having enough food, and God provided manna, they, and, and the manna was, was enough for them to, uh, to eat and be satisfied. And then they began to complain about not having enough meat. In fact, Moses got to the point, and it's, you really have to read these stories. They're absolutely fascinating. Moses gets to the point where he says to God, you have put these people under my care to lead them, but they are so difficult, why don't you just kill me? It's there in the Bible. God doesn't kill Moses. God delivers the people. They wanted meat. Here's what, um, here's what they said. They said, um, oh, for some meat. We remember all the fish we ate um, there for free in Egypt. We had the cucumbers and melons, leeks, onions, and garlic that we wanted, all that we wanted. But now our appetites are gone, and day after day, we have nothing to eat but this manna. Israelites were complaining. I know it's shocking. Human beings complaining. Sound familiar? Seems like no matter how much we are blessed, we find something to complain about. No matter how good things may go, we figure out something that is wrong. When all around us, we are surrounded by miracles, by the working of God's presence among us. What we don't realize is that God's math is different than our math. God's math is different than our math. Despite their incessant complaining, God patiently responds to their food tantrum with one of the most incredible promises in Scripture. He doesn't just promise a one-course meal of meat. God promises a full month of meat. Now, Moses... Moses questions God. He says, God, you've got to be crazy. There's not enough fish in the sea to feed 600,000 people. We, you know, there's there not enough livestock in the whole region for us to feed 600,000 people, even for a day. But for a month? The implication from God's response is, Moses, hide and watch. 
Hide and watch while I fulfill what I have promised. The story reminds me of a similar story in the New Testament. You probably know the story in the New Testament. The, uh, Jesus is teaching. There are 5,000 men. That they always count the men. Sorry, ladies. That back then, it was more of a man culture. Um, so you can just kind of multiply that 5,000, and there were probably more like 15,000 people that were there listening to Jesus teach, and they didn't have anything to eat. They were out in the middle of nowhere. And so Jesus asked the disciples, what are we going to do? And it's Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, who comes to Jesus with this kid and says, Lord, there's this lad here that has five barley loaves and two fish. And then he realized how foolish that sounds. Five barley loaves and two fish for 15,000. And so he puts the phrase on the end of it like we would. But what is that among so many? It can only feed a few. But you see, God's math is different than our math. Our, in our math, two plus five equals seven. But in God's math, two plus five does not equal seven. Two plus five equals 15,000. In fact, on that day, they not only had enough to feed the 15,000 that were there, but they had, had baskets left over. God doesn't just add. God multiplies when we pray. God multiplies when we pray. When we put what little we have in our hands into God's hand, it won't just add up, it will multiply. So here's the question. What step of faith do we need to take in pursuing our big dream? What is the step of faith that we need to take in pursuing our big dream. Several years ago, I was doing some work for a startup church in Colorado, south of Denver. It was a fairly wealthy area, and it was a startup church. They were meeting in a storefront. They wanted to certainly had the capacity. It was a um, it was a, a wealthy area, so to speak. They had means. The question is, did they have the will? Um, I met with the, we formed a committee, met with them over a period of time. Toward the end of the campaign, we started doing some dinners with people that had the most capacity to give to the, uh, to the project. On one weekend, we had three meetings, one on Friday night, Saturday at noon, and Saturday evening. When I arrived there at the, at the church, at the storefront where the office was, the pastor said to me, I think we may have a problem tonight. There's a a, um, um, there's a retired widow that lives only on Social Security that is going to be at the meeting tonight, and she certainly does not have the means to support this campaign, and I'm really worried that she might be really negative about the campaign. And, and so... Um, we talked about how we could help her feel comfortable, how we could uh, lessen the pressure on her, how we could, you know, 
find a way for her to participate in spite of her nominal existence. And so we went to the meeting, and we went through the whole process of sharing the vision of the church. People got up and shared stories about how the church had touched their lives. And, and then we got down to passing out the information on how to make a commitment, etc., etc. And this woman raises her hand, she says, can I say something? And I said, sure, yeah. She said, I have decided, because God has put it upon my heart, to give a double tithe of my Social Security, 20%, to this campaign. I mean, the whole room just dropped silent. I mean, they were just, they were just shocked. And I, you know, I said, oh, that's wonderful. You know, that's, that's great. Anybody else want to say, well, the room just exploded with discussion. It was absolutely incredible. It was like she had, had, had taken a cattle prod and just stuck it into the middle of the place. Afterwards, I said to her, I said, I, I said you, you don't have to do this. I said, don't put yourself in a, in a difficult financial situation. And she said to me, she said, listen, young man. She said, God has taken care of me through the worst of times and the best of times. And God has truly put them upon my heart to do this. And so I plan to do it, and I know that God will take care of me. What happened is this. Her commitment, which was far from the largest in the, in the campaign, n- numerically, but by far the greatest faith commitment, lit that, fire, lit that church on fire. People began to talk about what Ms. So-and-so was doing and, and what they could do. And not only did we make the goal for, for the church, we exceeded it by thousands of dollars. It was absolutely incredible because this one woman was willing to listen to God and follow God's promises. I would call what happened in the desert Quelmageddon. Is that a word? Actually, I stole that from Mark Batterson. Quelmageddon. Once the quail stopped falling, the Israelites started gathering. And they had enough, and I could go through all the math in order to get to the number. Um, They had enough for 600,000 people to be fed for a month. That comes up to 105 million quail. Now, what's the limit on quail hunting these days? You know, is it what, five, ten? Have they increased it or decreased it? It's been a while since I've been hunting. Um, 105 million quail. God, God doesn't do things small. God does things big. Incredible. And, and so I, that's why I think that God is calling us to pray those foolish prayers, to circle those foolish situations, to be willing to look like a fool in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is there a promise that we need to circle? 
Maybe we need to circle a promise for a person, a marriage, a school, a job, a child. We need to circle Stonebridge United Methodist Church because I believe God is at work and is working in ways that we cannot even see. Maybe we need to circle a promise for a fear or a dream that we are pursuing. And the question will always be, as we do so, is how are we sizing up God? How big is our God? Do we believe in a God that can only answer the prayers that we can imagine? Or do we believe in a God that can answer the prayers that will make our head explode? Moses asked, God asked Moses the same question. He said, Moses, here's the question for you. Is there any limit to God's power? Is there any limit to God's power? The obvious answer is no, there's not any limit to God's power. God is omnipotent, which by definition means there's nothing God cannot do. Yet many of us pray as if our problems are bigger than God. As if somehow we're asking for the impossible from God. And, and so we, 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 we become the victim rather than the victor in God's creation. See, I, I believe that our prayers are a reflection of our faith. The mystic A.W. Tozier says this. He says that a low view of God is a cause for a hundred lesser evils, but a high view of God is the solution to 10,000 temporal problems. A high view of God is the solution. In order to regain a godly perspective on our problems, we have to answer the question, Are our problems bigger than God? Or is God bigger than our problems? Is there any limit to God's power? Is there any limit to God's power? It reminds me about the man who was sizing up God. And so he asked God, he said, uh, God, how long is a million years for you? And God said, a second. And he says, well... How, how much is a million dollars to you? And God said, a penny. And so the man said, God, can I have a penny? And God said, just wait a second. It is impossible for us to size up God. Because God will always be bigger than our imagination. God will be always bigger than we can reach. God will always be bigger than we can, than we can possibly, possibly think upon ourselves. Therefore, the answer to, is there any limit to God's power, is to pray bold and foolish prayers. For when God gives us a vision, He makes a provision. We just need the courage to step out on faith, as Peter did, stepping out of the boat, as the wise men did in making that journey to Jerusalem, as so many others throughout the Scriptures and throughout the Christian history have done. And they have received answers with incredible, incredible results. 
105 million quail. So what step of faith do we need to take this morning? What decision do we need to make for God? On what promise do we need to put down a stake? As I was rereading The Circle Maker by Mark Batterson, on page 66 there was a quote that stood out for me. He said this, Lord, do something unpredictable and uncontrollable. And I had to read it about six times. Do something unpredictable and uncontrollable. Now, Batterson admits that for a control freak, that's a scary prayer. But I would submit to you that for anyone, that's a scary prayer. Do something unpredictable and uncontrollable. But we also know in praying for that unpredictability, in praying for the uncontrollable nature of God who is among us, that God loves us more than we can ever imagine, that God wants the best for our lives at a a level that we cannot even imagine for ourselves, that God will exceed our prayers as we circle them, that God is God and we are not. And the sooner we learn that, And the more faithful we become, the better. I have a dream for this church, for Stonebridge. I hadn't been here very long. But I'm circling a prayer of a a new Pentecost that will come to this place. I'm circling a prayer that every chair will be filled and we'll be putting up more chairs. And people will be coming in to be a part of the ministries here. That we will become a church that will be known for its ministries in the community and beyond. That the resources will flood in in such a way that we will be shocked and amazed at, at, at what we will do and what God is calling us to do because He is providing the way for us. I, I am circling a prayer of Pentecost that this property will be known as God's property. That's the place where God's people meet, where God's people worship, where God's people dream dreams beyond their greatest capacity because the only way that those could become is that God was in the midst of it. Some have said that this church overbuilt. I don't believe this church overbuilt. This church was building to a vision that God had given to the church several years ago. The church just didn't know when God was going to fulfill the vision. The vision is yet to be fulfilled. But I truly believe as we pray and as we circle this church in prayer that God will will multiply and God's math will make itself known and we will be the people of Stonebridge United Methodist Church that can give the credit only to God for the Pentecost that has come. So let's pray for a new Pentecost and let's be God's people. Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of this day be your word. And may you bless us, O God, with your presence as we go from this place. Send us out as your people. And Lord, as we do, We circle prayers that are absolutely beyond our own capacity. Some of them will be fulfilled maybe tomorrow or the next day. Others may take months or years.
But we know, O oh God, that you are faithful. And so, O oh God, we pray before you. We pray before you that you would have your way with us, your people. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more information, visit our website, mysumc.org. Have a blessed day.